Hey, ladies and gents, welcome yep. to a new episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. As your co-host, Brad. And um, on this one here, we got a uh, kind of a Hitman showdown here, but it's not your typical Hitman films. These are, uh, I want to say these are very oddball, existential like like uh, Hitman films. So... We got two Hitman films uh, made by some very specific auteur directors. Uh, we got Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, 1999, directed by Jim Jarmusch. We got The Killer, which came out this year, directed by David Fincher. And with these two films here, they both center around Hitman that, um, you know, both deal with botched jobs that uh, set in motion the plot and events of uh, each of their stories. And uh, kind of send them on a little bit of a journey. One's a samurai journey, and one is a existential type of journey, existential, existential, ironic type of journey. But we'll get into that. But um, I want to ask you: This is your first time seeing both of these? I know it's your first time seeing the killer. Uh, yeah, this is also my first time watching Ghost Dog, and this is one wow. that I had actually never even heard of prior to you bringing it up. So it. Going into this one completely blind, uh, it, obviously it stars Forrest Whitaker and everything. And I was like, okay, it's a, an assassin movie starring Forrest Whitaker. Okay, let's see how this goes. That's crazy. You know, this is one of his most iconic roles, like like pre, well, it goes in tandem, but pre Last King of Scotland. Okay, I, I, I can definitely see it, you know. It's one that I just never heard of, but I can definitely see why it's considered one of his like more prominent roles. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, dude, I'm ready to just get into it, man. I feel like we already like kind of like set the ball rolling. Uh, I feel like starting off with Ghost Dog is is the best way here because there's similarities in both of these films, but I feel like Ghost Dog is uh, the way to go here. What do you, what do you think? So, so you're trying to push chronological order on me. Is that what's going listen, on here? Listen, man, I'm not trying to be a contrarian, okay? <laughs> I just feel like we, we got the ball rolling on Ghost Dog. I feel like we need to get GD out the way, and then we can talk about the killer. Makes sense. I, I, I'll give this one to you. So that brings us to jumping right in with Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, uh, Starring Forrest Whitaker as a hitman for the American Mafia. He is brought in in order to do a hit on somebody else that is a part of the Mafia. And in doing so, ends up creating a chain of events that makes him the face to be killed by the Mafia in order to save their own hides before they get found out for putting a hit on, on one of their own. So... Ghost Dog, as he is called, is more or less the completely silent killer that has no other affiliations whatsoever. He is completely contactless except for Carrier Pigeon, and he only has contacts with one Mafia member who swears that there's no way they can be traced back to them, but the rest of the Mafia decides that there's no taking chances and he has to be killed in order to save Face for putting a hit out on basically one of their own. Mm. And that's yep. that's the bare bones plot of Ghost Dog. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, you know, a film like this, um, I got I got a funny backstory with this movie. So some time ago, uh, I was at my grandma's house and I noticed she had this on DVD. This was always a film I had wanted to watch. I was younger back then. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the movie where Forrest Whitaker is like the samurai guy, right? Like, because I always saw the previews where he was waving around a sword, which, you know, he never uses a sword in this movie. He, right, his no. guns are his swords. He he waves the guns like swords. But um, I was like, Grandma, how's this movie? It's like, oh, that's a horrible movie. I said, Grandma, why you say it's horrible? It's boring. Nothing happens in it. It's a boring movie. I was like, oh, okay. And then she was like, if you want it, you can have it. I was always a hoarder of like movies back then. So I said, okay. So I took the movie, didn't watch it for years. And then um, I ended up, you know, when I went to college in a film class, I think we had a course on, I don't know if it was cinephilia or samurai mythology, but it's some course I took, we were watching ghost dog. I said, 
that's the movie my grandma says is horrible. Well, we'll see how it goes. And, uh, you know, I watched it for film class and I said, that movie was awesome. Mm -hmm. But I could see how my grandma probably didn't like it. The way the film was marketed back then, if, if you know Jim Jarmusch's movies, he's he, he he makes very quirky movies. These movies have depth to them, but they're they're very quirky and they're they're kind of odd. Um, the way Ghost Dog was marketed back then was kind of like a kind of like a gangster movie, which it is, but it's a Jim Jarmusch gangster movie. Yeah, so I wouldn't kinda... classify it as a gangster movie, but yes, it does some have some elements with it being like the mafia is a main part of it. So, crime drama, yeah. which it is that, but it's a it's a Jim Jarmusch crime drama. So that's that's the kind of thing that I think lost a lot of people on on marketing, unless you knew who Jim Jarmusch was. So I mean, anyway, going into this movie, dude, I gotta say, Forrest Whitaker as the title character, Ghost Dog, uh, like I said, one of his most iconic roles. Uh, he embodies the role of the samurai so well. You know, he's a lone wolf. Uh, there's a, a transitionary uh, titles where he's reading from the book of uh, Hagakure. I hope I'm saying that right, uh, which is the ancient code of the samurai. And he's a hitman. I feel like that's just genius to have a hitman who goes by the code of the samurai. But that also kind of leads to his downfall at the same time. Right. Well, yeah, even more so. He is a hitman for the mafia, but he sees yeah. himself as a uh, retainer for just one member of the mafia. So mm. this one mafia member, Louis saved him when he was a kid. And in return, he feels like he owes Louie his life because he saved his life, which is a part of samurai code. And right. in doing so, he takes like all these hits. And I love when, you know, Louis talking to the other mafia members and it's like, who did you hire? Hey, it's this guy. Well, what does he look like? I don't know. Well, how does he do his stuff? I don't know. Well, how do you com communicate with him? Well, I don't. He he sends a pigeon to me every day, and if I need something, I send it back with a note telling him what to do. How do you pay him? That's the thing. <laughs> I only pay him on, like, what is it, the first of the uh, spring or fall every year? First of, aut first of autumn or something like yeah. that, yeah. And it's like, it, I, I just love that scene where everybody else is like, are you kidding? Like, this is one of our top hitmen here, and your only way of communicating with him is via carrier pigeon, and you only pay him once a year? <laughs> I love how stupid uh, the film makes the mobsters in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, like, just the bumbling mistakes they make, and then, in contrast to that, Ghost Dog is just like a... He, he's he's literally a ghost. People go up to the... People go up to where he has his um his birds... Um, or, you know, his, his, his pigeons and, uh, they meet one man that's, um, you know, a, a native American man. Then they meet another guy that's on a whole nother rooftop that they shoot. And he's mm -hmm. not even at the rooftop where they're at. Like they're, like they're so they're, they're idiots. So the whole time ghost dog is just smooth and, and hiding in the shadows. And it's kind of like two steps ahead of everybody. I um, also love how, yeah, he is two steps ahead. But at that point, when they're like just going on rooftops and being like, we're looking for this guy, you know, are you the guy? He doesn't even know that the mafia is after him yet. You know, he doesn't find out until a little bit after when I believe it's he finds uh, the one guy's dead body. Isn't it? Uh, I don't I don't know if it's I think he kind of already knew because he ran into Louie and Louis said, like, uh, you know, like, uh, I know Sonny's after me. And then Louis's like, wait a minute, how do you know all the people that I work for? So I think he kind of already, I don't know when's the exact moment he knew, but I think he kind of already knew that they were, that there was a, you know, pushback happening. Right. But yeah, that one moment when he like talks to Louis and everything like under the bridge and he's like, Look, I'm not going to kill you. You're my retainer. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to kill you. And he's like, okay. You know, if, if that's how it goes, that's how it goes. And then the other mobster comes up and, you know, obviously is there to kill Louie. I love that scene so much. I love I love how smooth Ghost Dog's kills are. Mm -hmm. Like, he shoots the guy that Louie's like, what'd you do that for? 
He's like, well, turn his body over and see. He's He was going to shoot you. you no, know, he wasn't. He says, turn his body over. So he turns his body over. He says, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, he goes, uh, he says, look, just just shoot me, all right? Just kill me. This is all going bad. He says, I can't kill you. I'm your retainer. I'm, I'm ordering you to kill me. <laughs> I mean, I would, I'm ordering you to shoot me. So he, so he does shoot him. He, shoot him. he shoots him in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, oh, well, you can tell the guys now I attacked both of you. Waves the gun like a sword, puts it in his holster, yeah. just walks away. Like, yeah. I love his entrances and his exits. Oh, it's so fantastic. And also the way that he always like uses his gun as a sword and everything like that. Like he holsters it like at an angle and everything, like he's putting a sword back in its sheath, you know, like moving his uh jacket and everything to the effect of it. it, it it's mm-hmm. so great. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I I would definitely uh, agree with that. Um, So one thing I want to uh, say to you. um, So what I like, what I love about this character and and his um, interactions with other characters, you know, whether it be, um, you know, uh, Perlene, the young, the little girl he meets, um, you know, kind of in the park that he uh, exchanges the book he got from. um, Now, what was her name? It was Louise. So the whole reason this all goes wrong is because, you know, Louise, who is um, the daughter of, uh, you know, uh, Ray, one of the uh, mobsters. Uh, wait, was it Ray? Yeah, it was Ray. Um, mm. OK, yeah, yeah. So basically she was there when the hit was supposed to take place on a uh, handsome Frank. But, you know, obviously things went wrong. Well, he, he handsome Frank got taken care of, but she was still there. So that kind of put a, you know, crook in their plans because she was supposed to be gone and. They got to put the blame on somebody because Handsome Frank's a made guy. So I like how, you know, when Louise gives him a book and says, uh, hey, you know, ancient Japan was a weird place. I like how the book is Rashomon. Um, And, you know, that's the inspiration for, you know, the movie we saw, Mm -hmm. uh, Rashomon. Um, The thing about Jim Jarmusch uh, is that he loves pop culture. So he loves throwing a lot of cultural references in his movies. So you got Rashomon, which is, you know, referencing the book that inspired the Kurosawa film. You got every single person that's watching TV in this movie is watching cartoons. Uh, mostly Felix the Cat. Right. Well, there's Woody Woodpecker. And uh, I saw at one point in the limo. There's, no, there's Itchy and Scratchy in one scene. It's not just Felix. I. Uh, was it was there an itchy and scratchy one? I know that a lot of them were Felix the Cat, because at the beginning so, it's Felix, and then there's the whole one with the uh, villains in his uh, magic bag and talking about that, and you know he he can always get away with the magic bag no matter what. It's insanity. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, so so I saw Felix, I saw Woody Woodpecker, and then I saw Itchy and Scratchy from The Simpsons. That's that's what I saw. Okay. So. The main thing is, you know, they're all watching cartoons and this is kind of like a cartoonish way in, in how this all plays out. Right. You know, it's it's just, you know, the mobsters are like bumbling mobsters and some some of the ways they die is cartoonish. But, you know, Ghost Dog is like the main one who's like, you know, not watching TV, just stuck in. I want to say the flow of reality and the flow of nature, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I like his exchange with the little girl, you know, saying, hey, here's Washington, you know, Check this book out. Tell me what you think. And I like his uh, interaction with his best friend. Oh, Raymond. Um, yeah, Raymond, played by, you know, Isaac Day uh, Bencoli. Great actor, by the way. Uh, you know, they don't understand each other. He's French. And, you know, uh, Ghost Dog, of course, speaks English. But they got a bond. You know, they're, they're friends. And they kind of they sense what the other person is saying. Like, you know, Ghost Dog will say, hey, I, I got to go take care of something. I think he's, he's got to, then, the, then it, Raymond will say, I think he's got to go take care of something. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like they, they understand each other. Like, I love the one moment, and this is where this, this film is so great at, you know, cross-culturalism, so to speak. They, they look across another rooftop and see a guy building a boat on top of his roof. And the guy speaks Spanish. So, you know, Raymond goes, hey, man, how are you going to get that thing down? Guy speaks Spanish. He says, I don't understand you. I'm going to go back to work now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I just love that. I think that's that's cute. Yeah. It, it the interactions between Ghost Dog and Raymond are probably 
some of my favorite little comedy bits throughout the movie because for the movie you have the bumbling kind of mafia and everything like that but outside of that it's kind of like very dark with it's like going after ghost dog and his like very Mm. samurai nature and it's it has a lot of dry moments with it and then you have raymond where their scenes are literally you know him pulling out the book and talking about bears and the little girl you know looking at ghost and going what is he saying and he just goes i don't know bears or something i think and i even love her comment of like so wait you don't understand a word he says but this is your best friend and he just goes yep (laughs) and he they're playing chess the entire time too Right, right, right. It's 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 amazing. I, I love the way the, the that friendship is written. But um I wanna say like the main centerpiece, both of these movies we're talking about have main action centerpieces. Um, but uh I wanna talk about the one in this movie. So I love the way that the main action well the main hit sequence is so smooth. Like so Ghost Dog, um, you know, after robbing uh two people out on a date for their clothes. I still don't know why he took the, took the woman's clothes. It didn't make sense. But he took took a guy's clothes that had like a good suit. He comes in um, to um, Vargo's mansion trying to pose as a realtor because the place is for sale. So anyway, uh, cut to uh, he ends up like, you know, shooting all the mobsters there, um, including Ray himself. And uh, once again, leaves um, uh, Louise alive. And... Uh, Dude, I love the way that sequence this whole sh- is shot, man. Where it has like that fake slow-mo effect added in yeah. where he has uh, trying to the ghosting effect. Literally, that's what it is. It's a ghosting effect. I didn't know that's what it was called, but I like the transition of it because it, it adds to him being a ghost, you know, being ghost dog. And, um, you know, him executing each of the member is almost like waving a sword kind of. You know, it, it goes from being like a like a quirky thing he does with his gun to actually something he does in 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 execution. Does that make sense? Yeah, because you got get to kind of see it from his perspective and everything where it's kind of like a slow motion where you see his methodical moves as he's, you know, positioning his gun to you know shoot the next person and everything in this room full of people, including when he's, you know, going around corners and stuff like that to get people and it's it's a very quick scene. It doesn't last very mm-hmm. long at all, but it's one that sticks with you because it has just a very good like action sequence about it. it it's 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 shot in a very lyrical way, mm-hmm. so to speak. I, I like the way it's shot and it, it mirrors the scene where he's practicing with the literal sword you right. know, with the ghosting effect that you said. So, yeah, the one thing that you'll find about Jim Jarmusch's films, I don't know if you've ever seen any one of his others, but he, his films have an elliptical effect. Everything kind of ties back to something that happened earlier in the film. There's always like a tie back to something mm-hmm. like everyone kept saying, yeah, ancient Japan was a weird place. You know, like his films are kind of like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I love it, man. And um, I was going to say uh, another another key scene I was going to point out here well, was um, a moment. Go ahead, I'll let you t- that scene still. I love how that ends with, uh, I think, Louis coming out of, like, the bathroom or something, and he just sees Ghost Dog. He's like, oh, come on, man. And Ghost Dog shoots him again. Same exact spot in the shoulder as he shot him the first time. And it it just reminds... no disrespect. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I love... It reminded me of the uh, scene in Barry where you have the mobsters and stuff and you know going like oh wow he shot you in the shoulder same place he shot me ah he's very good you know i didn't think of that it does remind you of barry i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if barry got some inspiration from this movie because oh yeah it's such it's like the way the kills are made the the dialogue in this film is so odd like you like you got to be willing to be on this film's wavelength to enjoy it because you know the way it starts it starts off with ghost dog driving you got music by RZA, you know, everything kind of sets a tone, but then things get very odd. Like, that's kind of where I feel like this film kind of lost my grandma. Like, mm-hmm. like, what the hell am I watching? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But yeah, I, I can totally see that being like a reference to this movie, especially because in Barry, it is also him being shot in the shoulder. You know, it because it, mm-hmm. it's Hank getting shot in the shoulder and then one of his men and he's just like, 
oh man that's the same exact shot he spot he shot he is very good and it's like oh that is all i thought of as soon as he shot him in the same spot in the shoulder here on louie i was like oh that that just reminds me of barry (laughs) for sure for sure i love the scene of him uh taking out um uh uh, sunny valerio um so (laughs) sunny is listening to flavor flav uh, you know, he's dancing or whatever. And it's 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 a rainstorm. So uh, you know, Ghost Dog already took the other guy out that was watching Felix the Cat. Everyone's watching cartoons. Mm-hmm. So uh I love I think I think it was very creative the way he took him out too. Cause like tries to use a sink to brush his teeth. Get, you know, the faucet ain't working because Ghost Dog is down in the basement trying to aim the silencer through the through the pipe. And the guy looks down in the pipe and sees the red light, and then boom. I was like, my wife and I were watching this, and I was like, that's a very creative way to ice someone out. Mm-hmm. Right, because they don't see it coming. They're, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's creative, but it's a very specific way of killing somebody that they right. have to be looking like down the drain. Like, you have to be having that laser sight to get their attention to make them go, what the hell is this? In order to even get that shot. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, I like that how there's like an ex- an exchange in return of culture. So if like we're if we're gonna um, you know, go towards the uh, the the finale here, you know, so pretty much Ghost Dog, you know, kind of leaves all his belongings with Raymond, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind of says like, "Hey, man, here's my key," you know, gives it to him. Oh, and I want to say this: I think Ghost Dog had a wife. Because every time he passes towards a cemetery, he kind of gives respect. And I think um, there's also a picture of a woman at his uh, his pigeon coop that he was at. Uh, I like how the film doesn't really like explicitly talk about it. But he he did have a life before all of this. See, I never noticed that. You didn't catch that? I did not catch yeah. that at all. It's like this is like my third or fourth time seeing this movie. It's, it's short and you'll miss it. But there's a picture of a woman in his pigeon coop. And then every time he passes by a, a, a funeral site, he kind of nods his head. And I think it's a woman's name on the gravestone he passes by every time. Yeah, just like little details like that. But um, anyway, he leaves everything with Raymond. And Raymond kind of senses that something's wrong. Again, they don't understand each other. But he says, dude, there's a guy with a sling, an arm and a sling. I thought he was coming to, I thought he was immigration coming to take me away. But he seemed like he was looking for you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. And then... Ghostar kind of tells him in so many words, like, you know, listen, man, you know, a man's got to live by a code. And, you know, sometimes, you know, time, basically telling him his time is up. You know, he he's done his duty as a samurai and it's, it's time for him to cash his check. And he says, like, I know you understand what I'm saying to you. So, you know, um, you know, Raymond understands. Then Pearlene comes up like, hey, man, I read your book. I like that story about everyone that had the different versions of the what happened, you know, the story of Rashomon. Yeah. Um, she said, he says, yeah, 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 that's my favorite book. That's my favorite story in there, too. So basically, he uh, has a he has a great and again, great cultural references in Jarmusch's films. It's kind of like a, a Western like showdown between him and Louis. And he's like, uh, he's like, Louis, you making this very dramatic. Like, what is this high noon? <laughs> and uh yeah, you know, Louis, you know, pulls out the gun, you know, shoots him. And I, I love how I love how odd but sad his scene is, you know, because like you get shot three times like that. You've done. But, you know, Ghost Dog is taking his time to die. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you got that one part of it. But then you got the other part of Raymond being very emotional, like, why are you shooting him? His his gun is empty. You know, you you've already won the showdown. Why are you doing this? You know. Which I love the added layer to that, because prior to them going into this showdown, everything like that, Ghost Dog empties his entire clip into his briefcase. He notices that Raymond has a gun in his back waistband, so he gets the gun Mm -hmm. from Raymond. He empties it same way, and this way, when he gets shot, Raymond can't retaliate in any way about it. You know, all the bullets are locked inside of his briefcase. 
Ah, yeah. I didn't catch that, but yeah. Yeah, so that's a way of him going, like, I'm going out, I'm going out honorably, and I know, you know, Raymond, as my best friend, if he sees me get shot by this guy, he's going to retaliate. So as soon as he sees that he has a gun, he takes all the bullets from his gun as well. Well, well, hold on now. The only the only thing about that is he gave Raymond the key. So Raymond could have easily got the gun out the case. Right. But that would require him running back to his, you know, ice cream truck, it, unlocking it, picking the bullets out individually, putting them in the gun. By that point, Louis could easily turn around, run, get back to his car and leave. You know, and he's out of the situation. It's more stopping the knee jerk reaction of. This guy shooting my friend, let me pull out the gun that I have already set and fire back because he knows that Ghost Dogs, you know, out, doesn't have any bullets in his gun. And I also love the fact that Raymond doesn't speak English. He's speaking French while he's yelling at Louis. His gun is, you know, empty. He doesn't have any bullets. You know, he's you, know, you can't mm-hmm. shoot him and everything like that. Stop that. But to Louie, it's just some crazy guy on the side of the road screaming at him while he sees Ghost Dog coming, still walking toward him after being shot like three times, carrying a gun still. Because that's before he throws the gun to the side and everything. I, I love that idea that like Louie has no idea what's going on in this situation. He sees Ghost Dog coming. He knows that he already killed everybody else in the mafia. And he's slowly walking toward him, holding a gun, and he has a very, like, samurai approach to everything. He doesn't know samurai kind of ideology or anything like that. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's not in his knowledge base. So as he's seeing Ghost Dog coming up, he doesn't know what's going to happen. And then this other guy's screaming at him. He's just like, okay, you shut up and step back. I, I'm not dealing with you, you know. And, you know, obviously Ghost Dog tells, you know, Raymond the same thing. I'm just like, step aside. Don't don't worry. This is okay. It's okay. And I love how he also gives the book that he was borrowing back to uh, Louis. And Louis, of course, takes it. He has like the blood prints and everything because he's been shot and everything. And he brings it back into the car and... uh, Ray's daughter is also in the car and sees the yeah. book and everything is like that. That's She's a good a new book. boss. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. She kind of goes, oh, yeah. Asian Japan was a weird place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we got that. Um, and, you know, it ends with Pearlene reading the, the code of Samurai. And, uh, you know, she sees at home reading it on the ground. And, you know, she gets a vision of Ghost Dog and then, uh, you know, end of movie. So I love the the poeticness of this film, even though it's odd. You know, it, it, it lends itself to uh, Jim Jarmusch's, you know, odd, cool style filmmaking. It's, it doesn't take away any of the the poetry that this film is, is throwing at you. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's just like everyone has a code here. Um, Louis has a code. He, he lives by the mafia code. Ghost Dog just had to go. He, he killed his bosses. It's just the way it is in his world. Ghost Dog has a code. He's a samurai. If his master tells him it's time to go, he's not going to... Ret- he could easily kill Louis. Easily. Mm-hmm. But he but he lives by his code. He goes, okay, if you think it's my time to go, then it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, he sees Louis as his, you know, his leader, his master in samurai code and everything and yeah he he, you don't kill your master in samurai code it's just your master decides your life for you yeah yeah absolutely uh yeah dude i think it's a great film about you know principles uh samurai mythology lone wolf mythology and uh you know mixing that with um you know the hitman genre Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very well done, dude. I, I I've seen this film multiple times. It's it's stuck with me. I it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. But I uh I, I give this an easy four point five. I, I put this one as a four out of five. It, it's got a mm. lot of good action scenes. I love the imagery that it uses and everything. I love the idea of like this 
mafia lifestyle coming up against a hitman by a samurai lifestyle. It's such a odd kind of thing to kind of just scribble on paper and be like, here's my idea. That's like, I, I love it. It's something fresh, you know, that you don't really see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on, on that front. Um, Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, yeah, I think this is a good movie. I'm glad you watched it. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to move on to the next one here. And uh, that leads us to uh, David Fincher's The Killer, uh, which came out this year, uh, based on a graphic novel series, a French graphic novel, actually by the same name, The Killer. But uh, basically, this film uh, surrounds uh, our unnamed protagonist, uh, The Killer, the hitman, who, um, after a botched job, uh, you know, uh, retaliation hits very close to home. And uh, he decides to uh, go on an international manhunt uh, due to retaliation. And the film is it's a very simple uh, synopsis, folks. But the film basically, you know, has us follow him around as he goes through this odyssey to, you know, figure out who who brought this retaliation close to home for him. Uh, you know, and <laughs> it's a great story of irony because the whole thing is to prove that, you know, he, he doesn't care. Like this is nothing to him. But the reason he's going on this whole journey is because he does care. And uh, we we follow Michael Fassbender in the lead role throughout this whole film, stuck with his internal thoughts and, of course, the exchanges he has with people along the way. And uh, it's just about, you know, how far are you willing to go to make a point that, you know, you're one of the few when you really could be just one of the many. And such a simple theme, I think, is executed to, I want to say, near perfection with, you know, Fincher's direction, Andrew Kevin Walker's script. Uh, this is a re- this is a reunion of these two since I want to say seven. I mean, he, he's helped with certain Fincher films since then, like you know, unofficial re- rewrites. But like this is like their official reunion here. But um, I, I know what I want to say about this. But before I get, before we get into conversation, this with, with this uh, with this being your first time seeing this as well, uh, how'd you feel about that uber fast credit sequence? Oh God! It's <laughs> I I absolutely loved it. So, it, like most David Fincher movies, the camera work, the theme, and everything like that is a huge plus of this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it I I absolutely love how well even this the way that this movie opens and everything as we follow the killer Michael Fassbender's character. And right. his like day to day of going through and he's monologuing the entire time as we're just basically watching him walk through a city. But it's interesting right. because of the monologue that he's saying It's talking about, you know, as an assassin, you got to start, you know, watching every step you do. You got to be in the shadows, you know, keep in mind there's, you know, 150 McDonald's on a city block that you can go to that can give you your protein and you never have to visit the same one twice. So you're never creating a face for yourself. You always do right. this, you know, uh, you never get Airbnbs anymore because everybody loves their nanny cams. You know, everybody has a camera that's watching who's entering and leaving at all times and you can't have that. So you go back to hotels and it. the whole thing is literally just him I want to say probably the first like 15 minutes is mm. literally watching Michael Fassbender just walk through a city. Every once in a while, he's sitting like with a sniper rifle trained on a building that's empty as he's just sitting there waiting. And I love one of well, the pieces of the monologue is even if you don't have patience, this isn't the job for you. Yeah, I, I think what he says. Exactly. Uh, he says, if you can't endure boredom, then this just mm. isn't the job for you. So the film kind of takes us. What I love about Fincher is that Fincher loves to be detailed, you know, with with whichever world he's he's working in, whether he's working with characters who are detectives, characters who are hitmen, psychologists, whatever. But, yeah, I imagine if you're a hitman or a hit woman and you're very good at your job, it does get boring because mm-hmm. you're waiting for the target to show up. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me. I'm trying to remember if it was like a comedy skit or if it was a part of a larger show that showed people like on a stakeout and it literally just had them sitting in a car for like five minutes doing nothing until one of them goes, 
so you, you're gonna put on like the radio or something and it's like no this is a stakeout we're, we're waiting for the people to come out and he's like yeah but we're <laughs> gonna do something here or <laughs> i don't know if i saw that movie but i do remember a part where this this film i love called dragged across concrete with vince vaughn and mel gibson they were on a stakeout and it's just them sitting in a car while vince vaughn is just slowly eating the egg oh yeah i've and seen that. <laughs> that one too yeah, yeah. So I remember that scene. So that was pretty funny. But um, yeah, so basically, it's really just him like on standby, right? And uh, I love how the I love how the the way his mind works is the way our mind works. Like he'll quote something and be like, "Yeah, I think Freud said that," or I don't know, someone said that once. Like <laughs> he'll say like intelligent things and be like, "I don't know where I heard that from." Like, um, but I love one thing I, I like, uh, just a throw, uh, not a throwaway line, but a random line. He goes, he goes, I've done my 10,000 hours. You know, <laughs> they say you got to do 10,000 hours to be a pro or something. <laughs> he just says random stuff. But it, it, again, it's interior monologue. It's all, it's all part of his mind. So I love when the, when the target finally does show up, uh, we get some like, like, uh, I want to say close calls and stuff, right? So he's in a WeWork office. So at some point, some guy comes in and he gets a little worried because he thinks it's somebody about to check in while he's checked in. But it's just a male guy. So, you know, he grabs the sniper rifle and like, you know, close call. But uh, finally, the target shows up. And I love the way this scene is set up, man. Like and I love the way this guy sets himself, sets himself up for the kill. This is how I this is how brutally ironic this film is. He goes, well, you know, I don't care what someone did. I don't care who they screwed over. The main difference between me and other people is that I don't give a F. I don't give a care. Mm-hmm. Immediately, he messes up the job. Yeah. He, he pulls the trigger and shoots the uh, the escort it, instead of the main target. Right. And I love the panic thing as he like goes to try and take a second shot. But by then, the target has already like shielded himself. He has the guards right. pulling the blinds closed and everything. So he just starts disassembling the gun, packs it away, and he just books it out of there. He goes to like a small convenience store down the road and immediately just starts scrubbing his like arms and his face and everything from like the gunpowder. And mm, he changed yeah. his clothes. He jumps in a cab. He goes to the airport only to be delayed. <laughs> well, before all that, right, there's the motorcycle chase, which is so yes. seamlessly edited. I love the way that scene is edited, too. Like, uh, it's the motorcycle chase. He's trying to evade the cops. And, um, yeah, I love the way it's, it's, it's got, it kind of reminded me of a Jason Bourne scene. Mm-hmm. But, you know, more evasive than that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not so much an action shot as much as it is a getaway shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And yeah, yeah. but I, I love like the culmination of like this panicked hurry to get as far away from possible. It ends up with him at the airport and then his flight getting delayed. And they're just like, well, here's a voucher. We got your hotel ready. Here's a voucher for free food. And it just, the movie just comes to a halt. Like the panicked music stops and everything during that scene. And it's perfect because then you just see him going back to a hotel room and going inside and just kind of like slow melodramatic music and everything from this panicked scene just right before it. Well, yeah, and he, and he's uh he's worried too, right? You know. Oh yeah. He, you, you see a guy on the plane. Um, I don't know if this was after that scene, but you see it, a guy it was on after the plane that scene. That, it's when he got onto the plane. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So there there needs to be a okay. So gotcha. So I was thinking of a scene where he checked into the hotel room and he saw a guy that kind of looked like he was after him or like he oh, was yeah. in his field. Uh, so he kind of got he kind of gets a little sketchy. You know, he he checks into a hotel room, kind of sets the door up a certain way so that when it when it uh, opens, he'll 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 be aware and mm-hmm. kind of sleeps in the chair with a knife on his lap. So immediately he knows he 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 screwed up. You mm-hmm. know, you're done messed up, Aaron. Um, <laughs> his 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 contact, who we later learn, is the lawyer. He goes, uh, "What what happened?" He goes, uh, it, "It didn't go well." What do you mean it didn't go well? You missed the target. He goes, ah, uh, complications. So it's like you already know uh, stuff's about to hit the fan. 
and he's kind of acting indifferent to it. Like it, it happens. Come on, come on. Right. You, you, you it's know a part I mean. of the job. Right. Like you know, I, I, I can get it done. Um, but it's too late. So uh, you know, cut to a little bit of paranoia happening. Uh, he gets back home. And, uh, you know, he sees that his place has been broken into. I love the way the film kind of like slowly reveals that something's wrong. Like he mm-hmm. sees the cigarette butts on the ground, which, you know, kind of cuts back into cuts back into some stuff later on when he finds out who was there. But goes into the house, realizes, you know, sees a little bit of blood, sees some, uh, you know, things are broken into. So then basically he realizes that uh, a woman we can assume is his girlfriend. Uh, someone got close to him, was beaten up really bad, trying to figure out where he was interrogated um and you know basically her brother says to the guy like listen i I don't ask about your business you've been very nice to us but uh listen i don't like seeing my sister get hurt like this you know he's like listen to me this kind of thing will never happen again and that basically just starts off the plot of the movie where it's just about him going on the international you know uh manhunt trying to like take down the people responsible for this so I i like how Every time before a kill in this movie, he always tells himself, trust no one, you know, stay steady, you know, stick to the plan. Don't get emotional. Stick to the plan is basically one of the phrases said the most in this movie, you know, Mm -hmm. and every single time it's always like right before he's going into a building or right before he starts talking to somebody. And even sometimes during a conversation, he has that internal monologue of just stick to the plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Like he he keeps himself steady and tries to say, don't get emotional. Don't don't get tied when the whole part is the whole part of this journey is because you're emotional. Because right. because you get right, it, 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 he's it, on it, a revenge spree. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, you know, I love when he uh, when he meets the lawyer. Uh, the scene is great, man. Uh, when he's with the lawyer and uh, the whole time. This, this is like one of the most tensest and funniest scenes I've ever seen. The whole time he's tying up the lawyer, the assistant's in the bathroom tied up, you know, or tying herself up. And everything's tense. And the lawyer's like, dude, you know, you know, this had to happen. You missed you missed the shot. Right. He's talking to him so calmly. Like, come on, man. Put the gun down. Let's talk about it. Just just pack up your stuff and leave town. Just forget about it. And I love when he takes the killer, takes his laptop in the lawyer's laptop and just nails them together. He goes, that's so juvenile. Right. Yeah. It is such a great line because yeah, it, yeah. the lawyer's laptop, he just slowly closes it, puts it over the other laptop, nail gun, and just right into it. And I love how it's, you have the assistant in the bathroom and she just hears what sounds like three gunshots. So she's obviously freaking out now because yeah, there's this assassin in there with her boss and she just heard three gunshots and of course the lawyer's just kind of giving him this like look of oh come on man you really really you had to do that <laughs> right right i love this dude like i love the humor of this movie oh, but yeah. um i want to say this kind of shows like like this man is not operating under rational circumstances i mean he's he's operating under emotion but not totally rationality mm-hmm. he um he asked the lawyer says listen who was the contact like like who who's the guy who's the guy that you know who 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 who, who pulled this off who who's the uh, other target he's like listen man i know i can't get you that he hits him in the chest with a nail gun and says uh hey listen you got a few seconds to give me a name or you'll bleed out and i love how he tells himself like okay middle-aged man uh bleeding out from three nails Give him about like certain certain type of moments to live, mm-hmm. and then he just slowly dies, and he just says to himself, "Shit!" <laughs> it's like you already you already missed uh, one of your open windows here, right? But um, and I, I love how this moment, which kind of like keeps everything in focus about like emotion and stuff, when uh, the assistant is like, "Listen, I'll I'll give you the information you need. Uh, it's just you got to promise me. I, I know you can make things look like an accident." Like, uh, I, I just need you, you know, she basically tells him, I, I want my family. She tells him without telling him, I want my family to find me and I don't want me to go. I don't want to go missing. So to right. speak. she knows she's got to go. She's seen him. But I, I like how he tells himself, trust no one. Stick to the plan. 
you know, don't don't get tied. Just stay focused. So, you know, that happens. And I like how so I like how slickly he takes care of it, too. Like, you know, she gives him the contact and without her knowing, just quick neck crack falls down the steps. Yep. Which I want to also mention the contact is literally a Rolodex card that just kind of has an address on it. I don't think it has a name on it, if I recall correctly. It just has the address for the person. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah, it just had an address. But I like the inventive ways he goes about things. Like, I like how... I'm kind of confused on, like, who he ices and who he doesn't ice. But because, like, we the cab driver was before all of this, where he had to ice the cab driver, but didn't ice the guy who he had to, like, temporarily knock out to get the cab driver's information. But um, but what I was gonna say was I liked how he when he even got into the lawyer's office how he how he had a how he used the recycle stamp to make it look like he's a recycle guy. Oh yeah. Uh, and like and, and before he takes out the secretary when they're in the elevator going down he looks he looks at the, one of the guys who works there looks at the thing like oh you need help taking out the body and she kind of like almost loses it kind of like a little bit of a chuckle or something and like he's he's a stone faced. Like, like trying not right. to show most of like I, I just love moments like that, man. Well, but um, one of mm-hmm. the great moments that he has is also the moment where we have uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, character, oh. the other assassin. Wait. Okay, before we get there, dude, we okay. we have to talk about the the centerpiece uh moment here, dude. So this film doesn't have a lot of. For a film about a hitman, there's not a lot of action until like the film's centerpiece, where um he ends up in Florida. Uh and uh, he he goes after the so there was two people there. There was one woman, there was well, there was one person we know which was a hitman like him, and then there was the hitman's assistant, which was basically the the big bodyguard, the guy mm-hmm. that beat up his girlfriend. So in Florida, he goes to meet the uh, you know, goes to take care of the the big uh, the big dude, the br- the brute is what they call them. Man, this is one of the best act, one of the best hand to hand action scenes I've seen in a movie in recent years, dude. I love this whole sequence, man, because it comes out of nowhere. Brady pretty much creeps up on you this whole time. We've been following him doing slick kills, and we think this is the movie. Like, okay, this is basically like a slick kill, no contact type of hitman movie. But, dude, the hand-to-hand sequences and the way Fincher shoots this sequence, I mean, it's amazing. Like, the kinetic special effects, the way they're – his body is literally thrown like a rag doll when he's fighting this guy. Oh, yeah. Well, the fight literally starts with him being caught off guard by him and getting slammed right. against a wall. You know, like, full-on body slammed against a wall. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, so this isn't going to be an easy fight. And his gun just goes flying and it becomes just a fisticuffs where, you know, the killer, you know, uh, Michael Fassbender's character is not exactly in a clear winning position in this fight. Yeah, at all. Not at all. Not at all. This dude is a brute. Like he's literally beating the the, the crap out of him. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, man, I love the way that whole scene is shot, dude. Like this, that scene was shot so good. If David Fincher directs a, a John Wick spinoff or anything like that, oh, it's, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Like, yeah. like I don't think anyone will be able to top him if he did that. Um, but yeah, I love that sequence. Too. And then I love the close call of it, too. When he finally shoots the guy, you know, the dog wakes up and mm-hmm. then he, he, he just he just last minute uh, gets out of the gets uh, from from behind the fence. He just uh, last minute is able to leave before the dog bites him. And uh, the house is just burning in the background. I was like, dude, that's how you shoot an action sequence. I also love as it's leading up to it, as he's like walking up to the house and it has that like calm and cool kind of perspective. And his internal monologue is like going over all the details of the uh, drug that he put in these meatballs that he's just mm. throwing over the fence for the dog. And it's like, right. don't take if you, you know, have it or pregnant or are expecting in any time and right, right. all this other stuff. Meanwhile, he's just throwing the meatballs over the fence for the dog to eat. And mm. then obviously the dog gets called inside and everything and falls asleep. And he manages to get inside from that point on. But 
yeah i love how it almost starts like comical like the way that it has these little comedy moments inside of this movie all thanks to the internal monologue of Mm. you know his character and it it, that was one of the ones that it it got me like as he was like discussed you know internally monologuing about the drug that he's giving this dog to make it fall asleep i i I chuckled (laughs) i i chuckled when he saw tilda swinton's character and he was like, oh, that cab driver was right. She does look like a Q-tip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that too. I busted out laughing in the theater, man. Uh, but anyway, I love the scene with her because this is where things kind of slow down, come back to slowing down a little mm. bit. Because, you know, she, she she knows she's done for. But, um, you know, she has like a little bit of a heart to heart with him, you know, hit hit woman and hit man. Like, uh, I love that story she told because I, I didn't quite get it at first. But it's a story about a hunter and a bear. So, you can, so, like, you know, this hunter tries to take down this bear. The bear catches him like, all right, man, I caught you. So we can either get it on, you know, sexually or uh, I can kill you. W- which one you want? So, of course, he chooses the other option of not dying. And the guy comes back, gets caught again, gets caught a third time. And the bear is like, I'm starting to think you enjoy the other thing and not really trying to kill me. It, this isn't about the hunt, is it? Right, right. And I love how a smile comes across the killer's face because after a while, he's he's just focused on getting rid of, get, just icing this chick. But after a while, he kind of calms down, lets her have his drink, and I think he takes some of the drink too. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes, listen, man, I, I didn't mean for her to get beat up like that. You know, it, we're just trying to tie up loose ends. You know the job. Like, you know, it it, it, it wasn't supposed to go that far. Yeah, but um, this is nothing personal. You know the line of work. You know how this goes. It, it this isn't anything personal. It's just another job, and I love how it also has that same kind of thing of like he's constantly at the beginning of the movie going, "It's just another job." You don't you don't get attached to anything, and right. she's literally repeating that same thing to him, but he's just taking it as more of a, oh, so it meant nothing that you literally beat, you know, my wife, girlfriend, whatever, nearly to death, you know, and he's just getting, you know, more angry from that phrase, even though that's exactly what he preaches himself. Right. Absolutely. I, you, you, I love the brutal irony of this film. And, uh, basically, you know, it comes to the point where, uh, you know, they go walking, uh, she kind of like trips a little bit, you know, asks him to help her up. He shoots her. But one thing I kind of missed that I looked up later is that a dagger fell from her hand. She's holding like she it. Was, yeah, yeah. She was going to stab him. I didn't I didn't catch that the first time. Yeah, because as her body kind of like folds over after he shoots her and everything, it, he repeats his rule. Never trust anyone. And it, it starts like going back to her body and it shows the dagger in her hand showing that, ah. you know, she had tripped on purpose in order to, you know, try and get his help to, you know, bring her back up, and then she was going to kill him because she's also an assassin. Right? Yeah, yeah. I caught that part. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, and here's where the film, I, I guess, I guess it's the punchline of everything, but I kind of thought I was a little, I don't know. I, I the, the the ending kind of gets me a little bit because I'm like, okay, I guess. So he finally arrives to the billionaire that set this whole thing up that that set up the target in the first place that got boxed mm-hmm. so you know he finally meets the guy um in his house and I, lo- I love how he's on the phone with somebody and i don't know they're arguing about stocks or something and uh you know the killer is standing there with the gun telling him to wrap it up he's like he's like uh, johnny i gotta go johnny i'm hanging up on you now yeah. <laughs> like, like, like he says he says listen man I, and i love how this whole scene plays out where he goes like, uh, hey, you know, uh, you had a target. No, no, he first asks him, do you have a problem with me? And I love how this is the Claiborne guy kind of has like a like like an inadvertent Thanos moment. Like, I don't even know who you are. Right. <laughs> like, I, I love know. that scene because, yeah, he it like takes out the earpiece and he's like, I'm going to be professional about this and everything. It's like, you know, why do you hate me? It's like, I don't. Who are you? Like, am I supposed to know who you are? Because I don't. I did I wrong you in some way? Because I apologize if I wronged you. Because I don't. I don't know what this is, man. Like, I I wasn't expecting you. 
just, dude, I just, I'm just in my house. I don't know you. Right. What do you want? Like, like, um, so basically he starts explaining to him, like, you know, hey, you had a botched target or a target that didn't get done. He says, oh, man, listen, they told me to pay an insurance policy. I gave him the money. He, he wanted extra money to, like, as insurance, and I just gave it to him. Like, so I, I, the way he explained it was when targeting go right, he said, he, he says, oh, okay. So um, he says, okay, but there's an insurance policy you can play to pay to kind of like, you know, get rid of loose ends. So Claiborne, did, the, the the client, his name is Claiborne. He says, he says, I, I didn't know what that meant. So I just paid it. Yeah. So this is what I don't, I, I don't give the film a pass on this. The killer just notices like, killer just kind of says, so a guy is in your ho- house, right? Guys in your house right now with a gun. And you're telling me you don't know who he is. He says, I, I, who are you? So finally, the killer says, uh, you know, listen, if I hear that you try to play another hit on me again, I'll, you know, kill you in a very unsavory way. Mm-hmm. And he just leaves. And I was kind of like, that's a cop out. Like, I, you kill everybody from the cab driver to the other hitman to the lawyer. But you leave the, the billionaire guy alone because he's ignorant. The cab driver was ignorant. You know I don't think he killed the cab driver, though. He did kill him. Did he kill the cab driver? I missed that. Yeah, the cab driver said, listen, man, I'm going to walk out of the car. And then and then the killer, he, he shot him. Oh, okay. I completely missed that. Yeah, yeah, he he, he did shoot him. Um, so I, I'm kind of just looking at that like, okay, so everyone else gets it except the billionaire guy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So... I just, I just, I just, I was just, I like the final line of the movie, but that part I was like, I don't give a pass to that. You went through all this trouble just to leave that guy alone because he didn't know who you were. The, the other people didn't know who you were except the lawyer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, so, see, that part yeah. didn't bother me as much as it bothered you because I just saw more as him finally listening to his rules of being like, don't make it personal. You know, everything like that. And but you stop there <laughs> after like four deaths, you stop there and go, hey, maybe I'm going too far here. I don't know. Maybe it's an analogy <laughs> for capitalism. The people at the top always get away. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe you, you might be right on that. Um, but I like how, uh, you know, throughout the film, the more and more he checks in through other aliases and stuff, everything's casual. Everything mm-hmm. is cordial. But the moment he gets seen with like the black eye and stuff like that, people are going, here you go, Mr. Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he finally ends up at Enterprise, I guess, one of the one of the like as like one of the many uh, to to check out a car. So he's not like making waves. Mm -hmm. But um, I like how in the end, he kind of just says that he says, like, you know, um, I'm not one of the few. I'm, I'm one of the many. You know, as much as I try to be one of the few, I'm I'm just like y'all, or I'm just like uh like like everybody else. But I like how the film has that final punchline, which is earned. I just don't think leaving the billionaire alive is earned. See, I don't think that it was earned, but it didn't bother me that he left him behind because I, I think more he was insulted by the fact that the billionaire had no idea who he was and had no idea what was even going on. To him, it was just like some guy showed up to his house. He's like, what? What is going on? What? I don't know you. And of course, you know, Michael Fassbender's character is like, you put out all this stuff. He's like, I didn't do any of that. I I put money in an account and that's all. You know, I wanted this guy dead and he's still out there alive. So I don't. What? What's the problem here? <laughs> if anything, I should be the one that's angry. I paid all this money and I didn't even get my hit. <laughs> Right, right, right. Which, which is, which is true. But I don't think he's offended. I think he's just like, and this is where I think he's caught off guard. I think he's tired. I think he's just tired at this point. So he's like, I'm going home. Like, like this guy doesn't even know who I am. I mean, I don't give it a pass, but I go, okay, maybe he's tired because the whole time he's walking up to this guy's apartment, you know, you got that that audio montage of everything he's been saying, everything's Mm -hmm. been said to him, going over and over in his head. But um, overall, man, I think this is a, you know, I liked Mank, um, David Fincher's last film, but um, I think this is a great return to form for David Fincher. Uh, it's a very strong return to form. I got to lean 
I got I got to lean on an easy on a light 4.5 with this one. Uh, I would also give this a 4.5. I I love the very slow pace kills to it. I uh, I love the little bits of humor that are like sprinkled in here along with everything. It's you know and like most David Fincher movies, the cinematography is just on point when it comes mm-hmm. to like scene transitions and everything else. So, yeah, it, this is a 4.5 in my opinion. Okay, okay, okay. I got you. I got you. So, um, looking at that, I, uh, okay, so so you take this over Ghost Dog? I, I put Killers over Ghost Dog. I got to lean with Ghost Dog over Killer. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we got we to gotta split on this one here. But they're both great films. Uh, oh, yeah. Both great films about, um, you know, lone wolves. Um, you know, one has a, a one stubbornly sticks to his code. The other one strays so far away from his code, but make, but tries to trick himself into think, thinking that he's still on code. Uh, I think this is a great matchup right we had right here. Oh, yeah, by far, because, yeah, it, it, when it comes to like two ways of going about like a hitman or professional assassin kind of ideology, they both definitely have their codes, like you said. And they just happen to be separate codes. Absolutely. Um, okay, so after show, good news, man. Strike is over. Yeah, the actor strike has finally come to a close. And I don't know if they've announced if they got what they were looking for or how much of it they got or what. I haven't seen it at the very least yet. There was there are a few articles that kind of list out what what was won and everything like that. Um, okay, I haven't really watched it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a little bit of it right now, but you know, I'm uh I haven't really like gotten too much into it. But I know it's kind of a tentative agreement mm-hmm. as how they state it. Look, people gotta get back to work, man. I, I mean, it, it is what it is. This stuff does happen. Um, I just don't want extras and or or as I call them background professionals getting screwed over um in this deal uh, getting replaced by AI. I mean that I was saw... the big part that they were fighting for. So I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't have, you know, had that be one of the major green points. Well, I'll say this. Um that stuff's just not going to work, man. Dude, I saw a clip of a Disney film. I think everybody has seen it. It was a clip from a, a a film that was made for Disney Plus where there was people cheering in the stands. The front row were real people. The second row behind was AI. I said, oh my goodness, that looks scary. That looks horrible. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that clip, but uh, yeah, it, I, I've seen some iterations of AI and everything. It's just, it's not at points that it can be really used yet. Okay, so what I got here is that they got more than one billion dollars in new wages and a benefit plan, you know, funding uh, Mm -hmm. for the three year term of their contract that they have. I don't mean to put it in air quotes, but their tentative contract, Uh, a new fund to compensate performers for their work on streaming shows, because I heard there were people getting residuals of like, what, 40 cents. And um, they were like full on cast members on Orange is the New Black or something. Yeah, because streaming numbers never had to be publicly said, so they kind of just had to take the streaming service's word for how many or how much their value would have been for that performance in residuals. Okay, so we got a immediate 7% wage increase for most performers and 11% increase for background actors. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice. Yeah. Um, new terms to ensure that all sets have proper hair and makeup services for our performers, including those that have diverse. See, that is needed. Listen, let me tell you something. A black man's hair needs to be cut by somebody that knows how to do black hair. Uh, I'm telling you right now, man, I hear so many stories where you got makeup artists that don't know how to cut black hair or don't know how to do, you know, a a woman's black hair. and, And it's disastrous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, an entire, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called, Last Week Tonight, about it. Mm. For anybody that wants to know more on that exact subject and everything when it comes to, like, hairstyle and everything like that. Because, yeah, it, it's there's a lot of differences between every culture and race when it comes to their hair and everything. And, you know, how you have to yep. cut it in order for it to come out right. 
Absolutely. And then another thing we got here is that uh, intimacy coordinators are hired for, uh, you know, sex scenes. I think that's fair. That's definitely more than fair. I think such a thing is needed um, when you're shooting those type of scenes in movies. Uh, I know they they started to do more of that, but, uh, you know, it was kind of like a growing thing. Mm. Yeah, that's one of those things uh, I've never even thought of before in like the movie industry. But, yeah, it makes sense that it's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a deal made on AI. I don't know much of the deal here, but I'll, I'll look at all this stuff later. There's some more stuff, I, I I believe. But uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. So, I mean, we're almost done with the year. It's starting to be kind of like award season. Critics are voting and stuff. But uh, hopefully this adds to, you know, some more good stuff coming in the new year. Yeah. Hopefully this can start productions up. So the second half of next year isn't completely a blank slate of nothing going on. I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I I I, I kind of came in with the chipper attitude of, well, this gives me more time to catch up on old stuff. But then some stuff I noticed was getting pushed back. I said, "Dang, man, I really wanted to see that. Mm-hmm. Now I gotta wait." You know, like, but yeah, we we got some availability now. Oh yeah, yeah. Next year is gonna be an interesting one because we still have a lot of stuff. I think like almost the first three months of next year, there's really nothing coming. If I recall correctly, it's it's a pretty open slate right now. Hey, you might be right. Um, OK, uh, well, before we close out here, anything new you've seen recently? I uh, I did see the new Marvel's movie. Uh, oh, tell me, how'd you like it? It is boring. <laughs> really? Yeah. Mm. So we. I will say this. Uh, the person that plays Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, um, I'm in hey. Vilana, I believe is her name. I'm in Vilana. Yeah. And she is absolutely fantastic. I love they her say character. She's good. She is the best part of the movie by far. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was iffy on, you know, where they were going with Miss Marvel's character in the show and everything like that, but I always loved her playing it. In the mm-hmm. Marvels, it, she's full on exactly what I expect. She is the fangirl of the Avengers that's just excited to be a part of the team kind of thing. And I okay. love it. So the main thing I've heard is that the interactions between the characters, there's great chemistry. There's great chemistry between the three leads, but the plot itself is just not good is what I've heard. That's it, what I've heard. The plot is boring. Uh, the villain, I will be honest, as much of a Marvel fan and comic book fan as I am, I can't remember what the villain's name is whatsoever. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and she could have been replaced by any blank slate of a character going, uh, my world, it it needs this. And Interchangeable, huh? Right. It, it's so bare bones of her character uh, you have Monica's character is literally, I don't want to talk to Carol. And then Carol's character is, I have trauma from a thing that I can't remember I did. It, it, it's like if I got blackout drunk and I woke up the next morning, I was like, man, that was traumatic what I did at that party last night. It's like, you don't even remember what you did at the party. How is it traumatic? Well, the trauma's oh, been wow. following me for years. You never thought to ask anybody what you did at the party when you blacked out five years ago? You're still holding on to that? Really? <laughs> wow. Well, hey, uh, you know, I've heard split things. I've, I've heard people, of course, there's the thing of people hating on it before it came out. But I said, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to wait for it to actually come out before I decide if, you know, the, the, the consensus really is not that good. Some people have kind of gave it a pass and said, look, it's not perfect, but... The, the, the chemistry is there, and that's that's all we can pretty much say. Um, but okay, all right, I'll take your word for it. Um, all right, y'all. Well, that's uh, another great episode of DFV. Uh, y'all take care. See you on the next one.